Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. My name is Hanna-Kaisa Torkkeli. Today we kick off our regular podcasts following the Biocidal Products Committee meetings for this year. I'm here with the committee chair, Erik van der Plasche, to discuss the main topics of the March meeting. This time it was a two-day meeting focusing on active substance approvals and union authorizations. The committee also discussed its work plan for this year. Uh, so Erik, you're fresh from the meeting. How was it? Any kind of quick reflections? Yeah, it was a short meeting, uh, uh, Hanna Kaiser. Uh, we had uh, today and, and yesterday virtual meetings. So uh, the next one will again be uh, be face to face. But this one was, uh, as we already several times had, a, a virtual meeting of two days where we adopted uh, three uh, opinions. One was sent back. So in the end, uh, satisfied uh, with the result and uh, Yeah, there were some interesting discussions uh, at uh, at this meeting. So you see a satisfied uh, chair in front of you. Good, good. And it's good to have you here again for the first time this year. Um, so let's kick off um, with discussing about the work program for uh, this year in the committee. This topic is quite interesting as we know that the deadline for completing the EU's review program is getting closer. Could you briefly explain to our listeners what the review program is and why it's important for for the biocides companies and also for us who use biocidal products? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the review program is let's say the basis of the uh, the activities which are now ongoing with respect to to biocides. So it, in fact, it is moving all active substances which were on the market and including also their biocidal products in the European uh, scheme um, and as you may know there were no reg- there was no regulation of some biocides uh, within uh, different member states some there was but it's all moving this whole let's say the whole EU market with respect to biocides within a European scheme so it's harmonizing the market in the end that's what we are aiming for and in that sense uh, all the active substances and the connected biocidal products would need to be approved and authorized in the end. And the review program as such is halfway now, so half of the evaluations which we need to perform have uh, have been finalized. And for us as a consumer, it means that the, the biocidal products in the EU are effective but safe, right? The outcome, of course, of the evaluation is that we won't have uh, we want to have uh, products that work and products who do not lead indeed to... to uh, Yeah, to unacceptable risks for for environment and for uh, uh, let's say workers who are using these biocidal products, or the general public who might be exposed to to biocidal products. So that's in the end the end result uh, where we are all striving for. And as said, the the assumption is that uh, these products would need to be uh, regulated. So the further we go within the review program the more it increases indeed the safety and the effectiveness on all the products we see on the European market. Okay, great. You said that we're kind of halfway with the review program, so this means that the the committee will also have its fair share of work ahead still because you do the peer review of the active substance evaluations. What do you expect will happen with the review program deadline? Well, 
let, let's first look at what we have in front of us for this year. And uh, this year, indeed, we have uh, we have a limited number of active substances which will come to our meeting. So we are now having the first meeting. Uh, we will end up probably with something like uh, 20 uh, opinions on active substance approval, which is similar to what we have seen last year. But by far, it's not enough to, to meet indeed the targets of the... Uh, of the review program, meaning that uh, it would need to be finalized according to the provisions in our regulation next year, 2024. Um, we all know that's now that's not going to happen. So on the one hand, uh, we would still need to speed up, of course, to, to meet our targets. The question is then we need to prolong the, uh, the review program by how many years this would need to be done. And that's, of course, not in the hands of the committee nor in the hands of the agency, but that's in the hand of the, the European Commission together with the member states who will discuss this and start to discuss this in Brussels. So what the Commission mentioned uh, at the meeting, that they will start uh, this discussion at the next uh, competent authority meeting, which will be more, let's say, an orienting discussion, uh, looking at, uh, let's say, ideas, proposals, opinions from the member states, and then in the end, of course, there will need to be a proposal on the prolongation of the of the review program. So this is all starting, uh, but for us it is, let's say, disappointing from uh, from a, an ECA and a chair perspective that we do not see more applications coming this year. And we hope indeed and we expect that there will be an increase, a speed up uh, to be seen in the coming years. And we're doing everything we can to make that work. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Um, then let's move on to the active substances. The committee adopted its opinion on including nitrogen generated from ambient air in Annex 1 of the Biosolid Products Regulation. And this inclusion in Annex 1, it means that the substance is considered of low risk. But what does it actually mean for the companies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you include a substance on Annex 1, that uh, means that we regard the substance as having low concern. So it's all based on intrinsic properties, hazard properties of a substance. Um, and the, the consequence of it for companies is that uh, we have then a lighter procedure for product authorization. Still, let's say for every active substance which is on the European market, we require an authorization. But in this, case, in this case, we go to what is called the simplified authorization procedure. And that means that the process is lighter. So that means that the information to be provided by an applicant for product authorization is much less if you compare it to, let's say, a normal uh, product authorization application. So less data are needed, although there are some provisions in the regulation that, uh, for example, if you need personal protective equipment or you have a substance of concern in your formulation, then you're still not eligible for the simplified procedure. But in the end, you need less data. And what is also important, you first have, an, uh, let's say, an application for the simplified uh, authorization procedure. But after that, you can go to what is called a notification procedure. So then even when you put subsequent uh, products on the market, then a notification is even sufficient and there's no need for something like a mutual recognition process, which you have for national authorization. Okay, so you can 
you can market the product in different EU countries by notifying only. Yes, okay. indeed. Okay. And uh, what did the committee conclude specifically on nitrogen here? Yeah, nitrogen we included on Annex 1 and not so much nitrogen, but more nitrogen which is in situ generated from ambient air. And uh, there's quite a history behind this uh, this application because this was a, uh, let's still call it a substance, so the in situ generation process leading to nitrogen. That substance was not included in the in the review program. So that was uh, detected at a certain point of time, leading to, uh, let's say, uh, issues in the market because in principle there was an illegal situation, if I may call it that. That was repaired by having some, let's say, derogations which were allowed within the different member states where this was uh, this substance was used. And then there was still the request to have a formal dossier and then to have in the end a decision on whether this uh, uh, nitrogen generated in situ can be included on Annex 1. And it's an important uh, technique application. Uh, it's used a lot for uh, treating uh, musea artifacts made out of wood. And then uh, for there are, uh, let's say, pests which uh, can appear. So for example, insects. And then this, this in situ generation process is used. So you have these chambers where uh, the technique is applied, where these artifacts are put for something like two to three weeks to kill all the and insects, which in theory might be there, let's say. Um, and maybe we had two discussions. First of all, the inclusion on Annex 1, and there we all agreed, well, nitrogen is not a substance of concern. So that can easily be included on on Annex One, but still there are were some concerns raised by uh, by member states, and that has to do with the fact that uh, you treat you treat the uh, the object in a certain uh, chamber, and that leads to removal of all the oxygen in the chamber where you treat the object, and that's of course a situation which, in principle, is is, is dangerous for human beings uh, if you have these low oxygen situations. If I uh, let's call it that. Um, so then there were some concerns from member states. What uh, maybe you need to to take some measures. Maybe you need to prescribe uh, measurements of oxygen levels in the room. Maybe you need to pr- provide some some warning sentences, warning signals for people when they re-enter the room. And that might uh, be for workers who use this technique, but also for, let's say, the general public or bystanders or whatever you want to call it when they re-enter a room where such treatments take place. That's one side of the story. On the other hand, the other side of the story is that we do not want to, uh, let's say, uh make innovation more difficult. Uh, because if you would put such a kind of restriction in the Annex 1 inclusion, um, it might not be needed in all kinds of uh, situations. For example, if you treat small objects, then there is in fact no no uh, lo- no danger for these kind of situations, so then all these measures might not be needed. So in the end, what we did put in is to have a very general restriction for the inclusion of, uh, of uh, in situ generated oxygen which more refers to the fact that the situations might occur and if they do occur then appropriate measures would need to be uh, would need to be taken 
And we had a whole discussion around that on, uh, let's say, uh, uh, member states granting first the authorization. Can that then be, let's say, objected by another member state when they receive a notification? So all, let's say, some legal concerns were also, uh, let's say, uh, played a role in our discussion. Um, and I would expect that will be discussed maybe in more detail when the commission is going to include the substance in reality, so that when there is a clear, uh, when there is a real proposal from the commission okay. to uh, visit the, the delegated uh, act, which they do need to prepare in the end and put forward to the member states. So maybe in summary, uh, it's included on Annex One. There's a very general restriction to it. And there might be a need for some further, let's say, discussion in Brussels on how to uh, how it will work in practice when we go to the simplified authorization uh, procedure. Okay, and the inclusion in Annex One is also decided by the Commission. Yes, indeed, we yes. We, we submit an opinion to the uh, Commission, and in the end, it's the, the Commission who will. Uh, make a proposal to the standing committee and the member states would need to uh, agree, vote on that, uh, on this proposal by the commission. Okay, good. Uh, that's for uh, the one active substance. And then you discussed a list of endpoints for ozone generated from oxygen. And I understand that this is about the data available on this substance for product authorization. Could you elaborate on this a bit? Yeah, yeah. For sure, indeed. So that's something we discussed. So we have already uh, delivered opinions on ozone uh, generated in situ. Um, we had two applications. One was made to the Netherlands and another one was made to Germany. And we decided that it would be good to prepare what we call a combined list of endpoints. So the hazard data would need to be combined into one document. They are already very similar, but there were some, let's say, some discrepancies. So we prepared this combined list of endpoints. And that is something which uh, then has to be used, can be used, and is very useful for when product authorization applications uh, start to come in. Because... Uh, there might be questions around, do I take it from the German application exactly. or from the Netherlands application? Yeah. So in the end, we think this will facilitate uh, product authorization. So we made this document. Uh, we agreed with uh, Germany and the Netherlands. And we agreed in the end, of course, also with the whole committee that this is the values which have to be used. Um, and that can then be used for product authorization. So the document will now be finalized, uh, published on our website. We will also inform the applicants when the yeah. uh, document is there. And then we think this will facilitate uh, product authorization, as already said. Okay, so the applicants know what kind of data or yeah, what kind of data is, is, is there and the authorities know also kind of what to use. Yeah, they know indeed what endpoint values they have to yeah. use in the assessment which has to be performed under product authorization. Yes. Okay. Good. Uh, then anything to mention about the union authorizations? Yeah, we had two applications uh, which we discussed. One was, uh, let's say, very straightforward, a uh, product based on uh, peracetic acid. Um, not too much to mention about that one. We had another application based on uh, CMIT, MIT, where we had, uh, let's say, quite a long debate. In the end, uh, we uh, 
could not adopt the opinion, this uh, this application will be sent back to the uh, evaluation phase. So that will need to come back to the committee for adoption. And the whole discussion uh, was around the uh, the availability of uh, what is called tier two testing for preservatives, either in can preservation, so preservation, for example, of a paint or of a detergent. And the other was about uh, preservation of metal working fluids, so PT6 and PT13. These are the relevant uh, product types. Um, and I cannot say, let's say, too much, of course, about uh, the uh, detailed discussion which took place, because it's all about this, an evaluation which has not been finalized. But I think what is important to mention, what, uh, is, uh, what I can already mention, is that we all agreed that uh, what is called then this tier two, and tier two is a test under uh, realistic conditions. So looking at the normal use of the uh, biocidal product, for product authorization, we would need this type of information for these uh, two products, which I was describing. So in-can preservation and metalworking fluid. There we need this kind of uh, tier two uh, information. There was some debate around the information which was present for this product and we would whether we would regard this as tier two or not. Mm. And in the end, we decided, I think, two things. First of all, as already said, we will send it back to the evaluation phase so that we'll come back for uh, another discussion and then we hope to adopt the opinion. On the other hand, what we for this is good that we provide more guidance to applicants on uh, what kind of information can in fact be regarded as uh, as tier two, and that all comes back to and that's maybe a bit technical, but to mention that you have this what is called challenge tests, which are performed as a tier one test, which is sufficient for uh, for active substance approval but a more, let's say, a more realistic test, and that can be a challenge test, but then you would need some certain addition that refers to aging and to soiling. That, uh, that kind of test is needed uh, at product authorization when you go to tier two. There might be some exceptions, but in the end, indeed, we need, first of all, or first of all, we, we think it would be good to provide some more clarification in the guidance we have at hand some members were saying it is sufficient, others were saying, well, we need more clarity on, on what we exactly mean, what we exactly need. Mm. So that's something where we as an agency will work on. So okay. that's uh, what applicants can expect in the future. The other message, and I think that's very clear, when we go to uh, product authorization of these kind of products, we need to have this tier two uh, information. Okay. And do you have a timeline already when the the application will be back in the committee? Uh, no, that's difficult to say indeed. So it okay. will go back to the evaluating CA, in this case the Netherlands. Uh, the applicant will, will look at uh, the additional information they uh, might need to provide and then okay. it will come back to us. So at I cannot point. say at this <laughs> point of time indeed when it will come back to, to our forum. Thank you, Eric, for these highlights and for joining us. The next PPC will take place in June and it will be the last meeting chaired by Eric. So we hope to have you back for one more time when it's already a bit warmer here in Helsinki. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to our podcasts at eka.europa.eu 
forward slash podcasts. We are also collecting feedback to better meet your needs in the future. So please fill in our short feedback form. You can find that in the episode description. Thanks for listening. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.